Now for the uh, next question, which if you're watching and you are offended easily, I would probably turn this off, but this was a real question asked to the internet. Would you to win the Powerball? <laughs> that is horrible. Oh. Oh How much is the Powerball? <laughs> <laughs>
And a lot of times we, we fail more than we even succeed, but the success, the success, the success is bigger than the failure. And so that's what we're going to dive into. So with that, Craig, tell us how this all began. All right. So without going too deep into history. So our dad, um, started Century 21 in Florida, the Buckmaster franchise rights, brought, brought it from zero offices to 320 offices in about 10 years, had 4,500 salespeople, truth be told, hated his business partner, got in a fight and said, screw you, buy me out. So his partner bought him out for you know seven figures, which was a lot of money in 1983. And my dad had a friend who's my business coach now, Randy, who they got together and they formed a company called Beg and Screen. My dad had the capital, Randy had the business knowledge, and they started buying little companies because dad had to find another way to make income because he sold Century 21. So he stumbled upon the neighborhood that I live in called Symphony House at an age of 15. So we lived in Miami, dad moved us here. So Jeff, you're six younger than me, so you were nine, I was 15. We moved to Tampa from Miami and dad starts buying little subdivisions. And you know, he built stick, remember the stick houses he built, little mobile homes on stilts? Oh yeah. Stilts. All kinds of crazy Zephyr Hills. And anyway, fast forward a little bit, he ended up buying, partnering with a guy named Horst Kramer, who was a German who brought, uh, bought Symphony House. And Symphony House is an 83 acre waterfront community. It's got 300 lots in total. Um, back then the lots were 35,000 bucks a piece. Right, the lot just down the street from me just sold for 450. So it's a long time ago when this happened. This is 1985. So dad, Apollo Beach, when we bought Apollo Beach, I-75 didn't even come to Apollo Beach. It stopped at Brandon. So you had to get off at Brandon, take 301 to get to 41 is a mess. So there was really future impact that Apollo Beach was gonna grow up when the interstate came by. So dad was future thinking, brilliant. But at that time, there were no Lenar homes, there were no D.R. Orton homes. It was all builders out of pickup trucks that would build houses. And we couldn't get any builders to build on the lots. So dad started a building company we called Symphony Builders. He started a real estate company called Symphony Realty. And he started a development company called Symphony Realty Development. So we had those three entities. And I'm now 16, 17, 18, going off to University of Florida and uh, get my real estate license because you have to be 18 to get your real estate license and come home and start selling homes out of the model. So my mom decorated the models, Symphony Realty sold the houses, Symphony Realty Development developed the streets and Symphony Builders built the houses. This is a pretty big deal. Remember, dad sold Century 21. So he built a big ass house on the bay. You know, at the time, I want to say that house was 600 grand just construction cost in 1986. And people and the average waterfront home house in Apollo Beach was eighty thousand bucks. And people said, Jim Beggins, you're crazy. That beach will never have houses like that on it. It's now the smallest house on the beach. So dad was a visionary when it came to that. Oh, was, he, he had, was he driving was he driving the Rolls at this point? He drove the Rolls Royce. It was in all of our marketing pictures. He had the Hatteras. <laughs> he put the Hatteras behind the model home. Oh, and we had the coolest security guard ever, too. That was out there the with the Uzi, right? at the front desk in his golf cart. With a canine trained Doberman Pinscher. That's right, that, we had full on security. It was hilarious. Yeah, I'm sure you didn't use him to get out of any trouble whatsoever. No, not at all. <laughs> in any way, shape or form. But I think it was inter interesting flashback. So dad builds the houses, mom's decorating them. Right, you're in the sales center, I can't sell yet because I don't have my license. Driving the golf cart, helping do tools. You're 12. Right? <laughs> yeah. Cruising around, 
And it was an interesting family dynamic growing up there for sure. But that, that was a lot of fun. So here's the hard part. So you start selling your lots and you need more. We had undeveloped land included in the acquisition. So we developed other lots or dad developed other lots and phase pocket well, unit four went pretty well. Sold out unit form to unit four lots and then borrowed money to develop unit five, which is the Bayfront street. And that's where shit hit the fan because Hillsborough County installed a water and sewer moratorium, which meant you could not build a house. So the problem is you go to the bank and you borrow the money what, with the roads, the water, the sewer. Tell people what a moratorium is in place for. What, it, what does that mean? The sewer capacity of the plant was not enough to handle any more shit. So it took time to rebuild a new sewer plant to process the waste, the feces, the waste. So we could not. So dad had $5 million borrowed from a bank, pledging the Hatteras, pledging the house, pledging the land, pledging everything. And then, you know, your mortgage interest payments come in every month and the bank wants their money and you can't sell a lot. The only way you get the money to make your payments is by selling a lot. You sell one lot for a hundred grand and you can make a lot of payments. But when you can't close on any lots through no fault of your own, you're kind of screwed. Well, this is, this is an important point though, because everyone sees the big ass house that he was building. Everyone saw the, him driving around in the Rolls Royce. And there are a lot of people that saw that and said, man, I wish I could be that guy. Right. right. Needless do they know, though, that he's at home, probably not sleeping extremely well, because when that shit happens, all of a sudden, everything changes. So everyone wants to be that guy. Until they until don't. It re <laughs> until they don't, right? Until it gets real. Mm -hmm, and right. so this is an important point. Maybe it, maybe it hasn't happened to you yet. Maybe it hasn't happened to you at this level. But we all go through this shit where from the outside, things are good, things look good, but you never know what someone's actually going through. And so you got to stop wanting to be like anyone else and just go do your own thing, put blinders on and go after it. So I just want to make that point. But all right, so continue. So he's, I want to confirm that point because you just made me think of something, a lesson my dad taught me a long time ago. I remember selling a lot at the end of the street that I live on now, beautiful lot, to a, a couple named Jim and Sandy Cully. And Jim was this really cool guy, very confident, drove a big uh, five series Mercedes. His wife was beautiful, paid cash for his lot. Back then, that was like 170 grand. It's like $400,000 today or more. Um, and it wasn't much long after they bought the lot, he had a heart attack. And I'm in my 20s. And I said, Dad, what did that guy have to stress about? He had all this money. He had all these cars. He had a beautiful wife. And he dies of a heart attack. He goes, because he had the fear of losing it all. The stress of maintaining that is a, is a big deal. You know, so the more you acquire, the more responsibility you gotta keep, you gotta keep producing. That's why I yeah. spit plates in my hands, right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, back to the story. So, and I'll never forget. So I had uh, moved from University of Florida, transferred to USF to continue selling here because it didn't make sense selling from Gainesville back and forth. And dad let me live on the Hatteras. So here I am, like 20 years old, living on a motor yacht behind the model home. And I'd walk up the stairs to my office, and that was pretty cool. And I still went to school to finish my degree. But uh, I remember when the federal marshal came and took the headers. And I remember when the bank foreclosed on the house. And I remember when the bank foreclosed on all the lots. And that was devastating. And that triggered divorce talks between my mom and dad, our mom and dad. Very, very rough time. This is probably... 
92, right around the company started, maybe 93. And um, so there was a really unique opportunity because the bank now owns all the lots. They sold the house, they sold the boats, and they got all these lots. And we had a good relationship with the bank, and I was invited to make a listing presentation to the president of Republic Bank. David Dunbar was his name. And talk about responsibility. So I, dad was done. Dad had to go to Canada, get a job with a friend of his consulting, just make enough money to support taking care of the family. And so I had to go to Clearwater that morning to do a listing presentation to get the family's land back. And uh, we did it. And they ended up hiring us, Symphony Realty, dad's company, to remarket the lots they foreclosed on, which is pretty cool. Right? And in addition to that, they gave us a $15,000 marketing budget because we were in the middle of nowhere trying to sell their lots. So we rapidly reduced lots and I was in charge of the marketing thing, right, Mike? And uh, I didn't know what the hell to do. And I heard the Wall Street Journal might be a good thing. So I ran some paper ads in the Wall Street Journal. This is 1990, <laughs> uh, 1990 probably. Yeah. And uh, we're not even Century 20, we're still Symphony Realty. So I run this ad, so it's like $300 an ad in a day in the Wall Street Journal. Not like Facebook ads today, right? Yeah. Anyway, um, I had one of those cell phones with big bricks with a long antenna. <laughs> this one. So anyway, I got a call on a Wall Street Journal ad from a guy from New Jersey, an Egyptian guy named Fouad Anis. And, and I just, I was able to talk really well. And I got Fouad really excited and Fouad, Fouad flew in. And at that time, we had gotten stuff moving along here well enough that dad was coming back. And thank God he was, because I was a very inexperienced sales guy at this point. So Fouad comes in down and dad and I meet him. And dad basically wrapped his arm around this guy and just gave him the big picture sales pitch of how this town was so in need of somebody to wrap it up and take control of it. And we sold Fawad basically every piece of dirt that was available in this town. And he was brilliant. He, was a, he, would, he would tie up the property with options and he had his engineers go and site plan and design things. And then I learned at that time the Egyptian people were not allowed to leave Egypt unless they were professional degrees. So all of his people, his uh, tribe, if you will, were doctors, engineers, and lawyers. And they all liked him because they went to the same church. So he would bring them all in and they would buy these lots. So long story short, you know, Fawad would, he negotiated a bulk sale to buy all the lots for say 39,000 bucks. Well, he had already sold them to his buddies for 49,000 bucks and told them we were gonna put them on the market for 60,000 bucks. So Fawad closed on a lot, made 10,000 bucks, never took ownership of it. And then we brought remarketed the lots at 60,000 bucks and had listing inventory again. Cause you know, we always say listing inventory is what drives the real estate market. So that's how we had it funded. And we did that with Bimini Bay, Apollo Key Village, Marina Village, Beach Club Estates, um, Symphony Isles, and that led us to Mira Bay, which was a whole different development set. But that's where this little real estate company got its start. You know, when we brokered the Mira Bay transaction, that was a $7 million transaction with a 10% commission that we double-sided. And that gave us the money to buy Indian Rocks Beach and Madeira Beach offices when we did that in 1996. No, it was 1998. But that real estate debauchery 
enabled us to take the risk to open to buy Sun City Center. And we bought that in 1996. And then we bought Gulf Beaches in 1998. And then we do some more growth from 2005 and beyond. But that's kind of I, stories that we never told before, but it's really fascinating. Yeah, I and I think, I think one of the most important parts of that, though, is you got straight up punched in the mouth, yeah. right? Highest of high, boom. Everything hits a screeching halt, punch in the mouth, and most people don't get back up, right? Right, Jeff, you witnesses. How old were you at this time? 90, I was 16. So you're, you're a teenager, pressurable years, yeah. probably, probably loving life, right? Because you're like, yeah, my parents are loaded. This is great. We got a Rolls Royce. I'm the man. And then, boom, it all, it all hits. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, you know, we were standing in a nice beach house. Craig would buy me um, liquor. <laughs> I don't recall no, that. No, he wanted that. That oh, yeah. sounds illegal. Oh, yeah, no. No, Craig would definitely buy, it was um, uh, be wine coolers and beer and Bacardi. <laughs> Bacardi breezers. Bacardi breezers, baby. And we, I never forget it because we stock up the little ice maker upstairs in the in that little uh, beach house. Kitchen. There, and in the kitchen. And inevitably, the, the um, we'd have a ton of them, I, I, <laughs> right? And then the paper wrappers would fall off and clog up the ice maker and we'd get in trouble and it would leak over and all kinds of stuff. You think we'd learn after, after weekend. But yeah, no, no hanging out. No, it was impressionable because that was the time where things were not going well. I think mom and dad got um, divorced around that time. And um, so we saw the goods and the bads. But what I think is interesting is I'm really glad that we had that because we got to see good and bad. And you get to simply make a decision as to which one you like better. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't know what a good day is until you have a bad one. And you, don't but you both, but you both stayed in that industry, right? That's what blows my mind. Do you know how many people would have ran as far away from real estate as possible? Because here's what I see so often. They blame real estate, right? They would have blamed the industry is the reason that they didn't succeed. They would have blamed that instead of saying, important. you know what? Yeah. It wasn't that right. We, it just was situational. It happened, right? And so if it's just situational, then we just need to improve the situation and everything's going to be fine. And that's essentially what you did. You went in, you reframed it, you gave, you got into a better situation, which allowed everything to end up prospering. But especially as a teenager, you turn right around a few years later and get into the industry that you watched completely implode. So that mindset is, is intriguing to me because I think a lot of people watching are like, are they, are they freaking crazy? And you're probably not wrong. We are crazy, but <laughs> it's the mindset though, because I mean, we were really fortunate to have and still have dad as a, as a mentor, right? He's a, a, a brilliant, unique um, person that's got goals as his mind and he's drilled primary aims and visions into our brains, right? From, you know, before these years for sure. Right. I mean, I was remember cutting out pictures of boats and yachts and cars and stuff. You were Dr. Beggins. He would mail away to like, um, what's the fancy car magazine, DuPont Registry. And he, he would surprise Dr. Beggins at like 12 years old. <laughs> I would get yacht catalogs delivered to Dr. Beggins at the house and I'd be flipping through them and putting on my <laughs> new t shirt, Dr. Beggins across the front. <laughs> That, but I mean, but that was the point. So we, 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 um, I think we've been lucky to see the goods and the bads and, and be around a lot of people. I mean, through YPO and, 
that whole world. We saw a lot of people make it and lose it. Um, you, we all have friends that, um, we all have friends that, um, i put it delicately, that didn't ever get punched in the face, right? And I'm, I'm happy to have been punched in the face rather than not be punched in the face because I think it, it brings a different set of skill, different set of experiences. Now, if we hadn't been punched in the face, we probably would have liked not being punched in the face too, right? <laughs> I think you make the, the best of the situation, but I think we're a lot stronger for, and a lot more cautious, right? And a lot more thinking, now look, we just got hit by a major situation. We're in the middle of a very uncertain pandemic um, where a lot of people aren't gonna come out of it. You know, there will be some people, there's businesses that are completely shut down and I would venture 15 to 20% of them just said, fuck it, I'm not gonna reopen, right? I bet right. you that absolutely the case and we're going to see that in the next few weeks here and certainly if people don't start coming in droves to to make up for the last couple of months they're not going to be able to make in business they're going to shut down but at the same time i see some a couple a handful of local businesses that have reinvented themselves that are really doing delivery that are doing family style meals that are posting on next door doing facebook right getting out there handing out flyers on your doors right leaving things on your front doorstep saying please support local family business, family friendly, this, that, and the other. And they're, they're doing what they need to do so they come out the other end. So I think some of it is what do you do when you get kicked in the in the gut? And do you just bend over? You can bend over and, and gasp for a little while, but if you don't stand up, you're dead. And I think it's, um, from we all have that issue. Every one of us has issues, right? We all well, have. I th I, yeah, I agree. I think, I think, though, if you look at one of the most common traits of very successful people, they all at some point or another went to zero or very damn close, right? It just, it, it's almost anyone in history. You look at a successful person at some point, they've gone to zero or very close. And it's just, just it's a one common trait, right? Everyone's different, come from different backgrounds, all that. But that is something I've seen time and time again. You know, I watched my dad go through it. Thank God I personally haven't come that close. I've, uh, I've had moments, right? bad investments, bad stuff. But I watched my dad go through it. One of the most successful guys I, I've met and owned and was partner in a very large travel company, literally getting ready to have one of the largest acquisitions of their, of his life that was going to make it an insane amount of money on September 11th, 2001. Planes hit during the meeting, meeting ends and their large contracts were all government-based and all traffic, literally all travel shut down, right? And similar to this situation, overnight, boom, done. And they all bankruptcy, right? Like, what do you do? We're done, right? We'll go from millions of dollars to nothing. And so that happened. And for me, I was about your age. You know, I was that same, I was in my early teens. And I remember watching that and never once, though, did it scare me from ever doing it myself. Instead, it motivated me because I watched how he just got right back up and said, you know what? Shit happens. Boom. My back's against the wall. The only way I go is, is forward, right? I can't go that way. And what I watched, though, is when you survive something like that, when you come back from it, then everything, nothing's as scary, right? This whole situation now isn't as scary to you guys, I'm sure, as it no, would we know have been. we never this. Right. But, it, but it's not a – the next time it happens, it's not nearly as scary because you know you can come through it. Right. You know what it's like. You've tasted getting punched in the mouth. So you're not afraid to get punched in the mouth anymore. 
right? And so I think that is something that if you haven't, if you're watching this or listening and you haven't gone through that, you got to put that fear aside because the reality is you, at some point, if you take enough chances, you're going to fail. You just are. If you take enough risk, you're going you're gonna to crash and it's going to happen. But when you taste it and realize, you know what, if this is the worst that can happen and I can come back from it, then everything's okay. Then the whole game changes. Well, so that's think- an important thing that I think is good. So, you know, Jeff and I are, have a coach that we work with. And one of the exercises the coach constantly makes us go through is what we call the worst case scenario. Yep. And you, you take yourself through the worst case. The worst case scenario is I stop giving myself a paycheck, right? And yep. I've got to lay people off and I got to shut down offices and I got to, you know, eat Cheerios or SpaghettiOs or whatever you call that shit. You come up with the worst case scenario. And lose the house and lose the cars and lose the family and turn into a crackhead and living under a bridge. And, you know, like you go down to the worst case scenario. And then you talk with yourself and you say, if that happened, could I deal with it? If I didn't have an Escalade, if I didn't have my boat and I lost my house and I didn't have a paycheck, would I still be alive and able to function? And fortunately for me, the answer is yes, I, I could, right? So that kind of takes the fear away, and you certainly don't want that, but you prepare for the worst and hope for the best, or plan for the worst and hope for the best. So you have those contingent plans, but you got to go through that exercise. What's the worst case scenario? And when you really break it down, you're going to be all right, right? I think, I think people fear the optics more than anything. I think they fear of, oh, what are my friends going to think? What are people going to think when I don't drive an Escalade anymore? What are people going to think when I don't have the Rolex, right? When I, don't, when I can't take them out on the boat. And I think the reality is, yeah, that's a human, that's a natural thing to, to think about. But then I think about it and say, you know what? My, my losses are my losses. Like, right. fuck what you think, right? Like, at the end of the day, your, your support or negativity towards that, for me, doesn't mean shit towards me actually recovering from it right like it doesn't even if you were like no you'll be okay great you're not going to help me be okay in that situation that's on me so once you realize that everything's on you and your losses are your losses and your wins are your wins you know that that fear goes away and when that fear goes away i think almost all fear goes away well i think what was the title of that that one book unfuck withable right yeah yeah once you get to the to the point of being unfuck withable Nothing matters, right? Nothing matters. Like I'm going to go do my thing and I don't care what you think about it because I'm committed to making it work. Do I know if it's going to work? I, it will. Do I know how? Nope, but it will work <laughs> and I'll figure out how it will work. And it doesn't really matter what's going to happen externally. And I think that's kind of fun. And I, but I think you need to your point, Mike, you need to have the experience of, of the punch, right? To know that when you do get punched, it's okay. Or, or be able, or be able to mentally go there. And I think that's harder, but if you can mentally, I I watched a speech that Dwayne, the rock Johnson actually gave one time. And he said like, he, you know, he, he had got punched in the mouth, started with $7. That's why everything he owns is seven bucks production, because that's literally what he had in his wallet. Um, And so, but he tells a story that even now, right. Worth hundreds of millions of dollars every single day he wakes up and he meditates, but he meditates against the wall. And the reason he meditates against that wall is it literally helps him prepare. Like my back is still against this wall. I have no money. If I don't go out and work today and crush it, I'm not going to eat. Right. That's literally what he sells to himself. 
And so I think to your point, you have to either actually get punched or you've got to develop a method that makes you feel like every day when you wake up, you got punched, time to go, right? Time to, time my back's against that wall. There's only one direction I can go and it's that way. And if you don't establish one of the two, you're in trouble. But, but, but that goes back to the biggest issue about the happy part, right? There's no yeah. reason to go, right? There's really no reason to go do anything unless you have a reason. And that's the biggest issue that I know we face from um, a leadership position with people is constantly reminding them and ourselves, guys, right? Honestly, reminding ourselves why we're doing what we're doing because we've got business plans that you guys will see soon that are, are extremely exciting that can create massive amounts of, of income. Massive. But yeah. what's, what's the one thing holding that back? We there's, don't need it. There's only one, right, exactly right. Right, and, and, and at least for me, right, we've had this conversation. I, it, is a, it is, in my opinion, my biggest fault mentally is I will justify my, to myself that I don't need it. Right. And when the second that you can justify that to yourself, it's a problem because, because nobody does. that's the issue. Yeah. Nobody does. Or do you. Right. And I, I have to physically. And so do you physically force myself to believe that I need it. Right. Or else it will not happen. Well, what makes it fun is to hang around people that have it. Because yep. then it, it's pretty motivating. Yep. You know, like my little distance group. That, that's just cool. They got private jets and they got big yachts and it's like, they don't need it, but damn it, sure nice to have. Yeah, but I mean, going back, so what I find hard is, it, I feel like it's easier when you're actually not happy to strive for certain things. Yeah. The challenge that I always run into is I'm happy, right? Like really happy. I love the life I have, mm -hmm. right? Now, I also have a big issue where I don't care about money to a fault which is a actual fault. Like, I don't say that jokingly. I say that in like, I miss a ton of opportunity because of that fact right there. I don't pay attention to it to the degree that I should. And I don't care about it to a degree where it holds me back because I won't do certain things or I'll focus on other things because I enjoy those things more, even though they may not make as much money, even though the money may be able to do things that, would actually fuel even more happiness because I take my kids first class three times a year to Europe, right? Like, the, but that's, that's the conundrum that I face. And so that's just real, right? That's a real, that's a real issue. So my, my, I guess my question to you guys would be, what do you do when you're happy and still trying to get more? Because that's oh. how I justify it to myself. I don't need the boat because I'm already happy. Well, and that's great. And that's great. But let's go a little deeper than that for a second. So are you going to do anything with your family at all this year for a vacation? When, if things open up, we you know? were supposed to, but now like everywhere you go is death. All right. So, so let's say, let's say this gets back on track, which it will. And it's next spring, right? It's a year from now and it is vacation time and the Puma family vacation is coming around. What do you normally do for vacation? Like this Halloween, we were scheduled to be on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. Okay. Good. That's a great, great example. Right. So are you going to reschedule that? 
Yeah, well, right now they haven't canceled it. But yes, they likely will cancel it and we will have to reschedule. Yeah, okay. So here's, here's the things that I suggest, right? And, and I'm looking forward to doing that. My kids are still a little young for this, but I can't wait. I can't wait to say, look, in March, we're going to do whatever the hell it is you want to go do, wherever it is you want to go do it. And this is what it is. So come back and go to Courtney and go to, go to my wife, go to my kids and say, here's your trip to plan. Here's your trip to plan. I don't care about the budget. I want you guys to think about the coolest experience of anything that you would ever want to go do and figure it out, right? And then come back and whether it's, maybe it's a Royal Caribbean cruise, but I, let's go get the double, triple balcony cabin, right? And then let's pick the coolest ass excursions on the planet and let me have a limo waiting for us to take us to Timbuktu when we get there, right? Why? Because I want to leave experiences and and experiences, right? It's not the money. It's the experiences and the stories and the, and the education and just the things that, and it's not that you need the money to do it, but I just think it's an interesting experience, right? Have the limo yep. to pick you up to take you to the cruise ship, right? Pay the guy a hundred bucks to carry your shit to your suite, right? Go get the extra upgraded top shelf, whatever you want, right? Not because you're being extravagant, because we work our asses off and your wife puts up with a lot of shit as does mine, right? because we work our asses off and you know the kids don't you know as much as we spend time with them they want more right and not that money buys it but the experience is sure nicer than going to spend a weekend at the motel six with a pool right and so <laughs> those, are, those are the options as far as what do you want to go do and you may say you're happy but is it responsibly happy do you have your kids college paid for you yet do you have any yeah. do you have and if you haven't bought one for each of your kids yet then you need to Right. And then go get a down payment enough to buy a duplex every two years. Right. And those yep. are the type of things to look it up and then sit with Courtney and say, Courtney, when the kids go up or it's five years from now and the kids are where they are, what do you want to be doing? Let's map out that lifestyle. What does that lifestyle cost us to live? And if it's going to be X thousands of dollars a month, what are we going to do to generate that? Because what if I want to say pause, right? Could, what investments do I need to have in order to still have that passive income coming through that we have that income coming that it's not dependent on me trading hours for dollars. It's making my dollars create dollars, right? And that's the ultimate American dream is not trading hours for dollars, right? So those are the things that we start getting when you're happy, right? That's a, you know, it's an interesting word. And, but I think from a responsibility standpoint, it's what can you do that's more um, comforting or more responsible to make sure that you can weather the storm. I mean, guys, this is a pretty interesting wake-up call this whole COVID thing, right? What if, right? What if this did wipe out 2 million people like they originally projected, right? We would not be ramping up expansion plans right now, right? I mean, we're lucky. Right. And it's a major-ass plan. What if we had no choice but to shut down eight offices, right? What if? What if yeah. income screamed to a halt? How many months do you have to, to live off of? Yeah. Honestly, truly, and, and everybody watching, you better be answering these questions because if the answer is not enough, and what if the government can't do it? And what do you do? What if all resources went into crazy panic mode and you had to eat, right? Those are the type of things we need to start thinking about. So happy needs to be defined as comfort, right? And the ability to sustain two years worth of shit, right? In addition to have things happen, right? That can pay. And you better have cylinders filing at different cylinders. I mean, 
I got my butt currently kicked because I've got some commercial properties in a tourist area that are shut the fuck down. I own a piece of a motel on the Gulf of Mexico that has a pool shut down and a beach shut down and zero people staying it for the last six weeks, right? These are not good situations. And what if that happened for seven months or eight months or a year? Could happen, right? So these are the things. So, so take happiness into consideration and say, what are we going to actually go do? And what is a responsible thing to go do? And what else, what other industry could you get into right now to go make a ton of cash to be able to sit aside and put into some non-viable places right here? Hi, Amber. I'm going to knock you out of here because we're finishing up a podcast for a little bit. So we'll be popping in here soon. We got a, we got a happy hour starting in seven minutes. So we'll, we'll pick you back up there. So, um, so we're going to kick Amber out of that there. And I think on that note, guys, I think we that was our first Zoom bomb. <laughs> <laughs> now, so, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you went there, though, because that's where I was hoping you would go. And I think I think you're spot on. I think another way to look at it, too, is doubling down on what makes you happy. Right. So, you know, if if I say that taking my kids on vacation makes me happy, great. How could we do that three times a year, twice a year, more than we do it now? right? How could you spend more quality time? I, I, one of my big things that I'm putting down on my primary aim is my boys are getting to the age. They love sports. They love all the pro teams. I did it as a kid. One of my things now is I want to visit, ultimately visit every major professional sports stadium with them over the next, you know, 10 to 15 years, right? Awesome. It'll take us a while to do it. But I, that's one thing I want to do with them because I know they're looking forward to it. I loved it as a kid. I've been to a lot of the stadiums and, and those were awesome experiences. And so those are the things that now it's okay. Yeah, we can do that vacation, but how do we do it in a, to your point with new experiences? Um, so, okay. Jeff, what is, what is Matthew saying? Be content with where you are, but eager for more. That's right. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> and, are you ready? Are you ready to answer some uncomfortable questions to end this podcast? Oh, all right, oh, I forgot about that. Uh, all right, we got we might have four, five minutes left, so uh, yeah, we have like two. So let's do like one or two questions because we we really yeah, have to happy hour in this. We're room. gonna we're gonna do three questions. This will lead us into happy hour because after you answer these, you're probably gonna want to drink. So this is from a game called Answer the Internet, where the internet is asked these un inappropriate and ridiculous questions, and they answer them so we are now going to answer them and the best part is jeff and craig have no idea what these three questions are the first one's not that bad but i am curious to see what you pick what is the fiercest animal that you think you could take down in a fight jeffrey huh hmm 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 I mean, you're like a big bear yourself, so I feel like you... I could take you, a bear. The, the first thing that popped into mind is a, a big-ass gator. I, I could probably take a bear <laughs> gator down. That would be sacrilegious for you. <laughs> <laughs> you. That's something a Seminole would say. I don't know if you're actually I'll, I'll allowed to answer that. There's that stupid <laughs> image of a honey badger pop up in my head from some <laughs> stupid show I saw once. <laughs> Yeah, honey badger video is the greatest of all time. But honey badgers are no joke, man. Those things eat rattlesnakes and like <laughs> things are no joke. Um, I I want to say a puma just because that'd be cliche. But I don't know. I think a puma could probably rip my throat apart. 
Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think a shark. Like, I feel like I could, if a shark was coming, I could punch it in the eye and get away. I don't know. I think I'm going shark. All right. So, so a honey badger, did you change the bear? Because you, your UF friends are going to be mad at you. And, and a shark. All right. Um, I'll, save, I'll save one of these for last. The second question, would, uh, wh- what would your 12-hour crime spree be if you, were le- if you were in the movie The Purge? What would you do? <laughs> Oh, I man. don't know what the movie is, but oh, so the, purge, the, the purges they get they get twenty four or twelve hours of there's no crime to do so whatever you, do, you want to do with no you can do anything you want with no repercussion. You gotta wow. watch that movie. You need to go Netflix that. And it's it's insane. They actually turned it into a TV show um, on Netflix too. Jeff, what would you do? Well, what is that? I was gonna. Uh, I got a couple people. I'm, I'm gonna have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that turns into a real crime real fast. <laughs> I go to Craig on that one. I might have to think about this one because that's kind of that's a fun one. Yeah, I don't have that bone in my body. Yeah, you do. You just had to dig for it. Oh, you'd be the per- <laughs> you you'd be the person that sat at home and did nothing. No, I could do that. Yeah. I gotta feel I can do anything I want right now. I am. (laughs) (laughs) With laws, all laws are are aside, though, for twelve hours. That's, hmm. You know, that's a whole different podcast, Boomer. Yeah, it it really, it really could be. I, I would start one hundred percent by robbing a bank. There'd be no question about it. Just banks don't have enough money. Now you need need to tap into Bitcoin, and I would probably go take as many Bitcoin. Machines that I could get and just pop them on over. It's a little easier. That's true. It doesn't have enough money in it anymore. That's yeah. true. Yeah, not enough cash in it. We'll have to readdress this in a future podcast. Okay. Now for the uh, next question, which if you're watching and you are offended easily, I would probably turn this off. But this was a real question asked to the internet: Would you be to win the Powerball? <laughs> <laughs> horrible oh my god how much is the powerball (laughs) (laughs) yeah keep it those are those are very valid questions (laughs) i refuse to answer (laughs) i refuse to answer uh, we're going to say the Powerball is at a billion dollars. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I think uh, I would consider it, to be honest. For a billion dollars, I'd consider it. Here's the scary part. 67% of the internet said they absolutely would. <laughs> With no qualifying questions? <laughs> no qualifying questions. Just a, just a, resou- just a resounding guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yep. Oh, well, on that note, I think it's time to <laughs> end this. All right. See you guys. Thanks see, ya. All right. see ya. One. 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 One.